At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. You can be seated if you will follow him anywhere. Oh, good. That's a lot of willing people out there. Man, it's a dangerous song to sing. And you sang it. You follow him anywhere. Seriously? Uh, send me an email. Let me know where he's sending you. We'll pray for you. We'll cheer for you. We'll help you get there. That's what we do. That's what the, that's what the church does. We help one another go where God wants us to go. So can't wait to hear what he's going to say to you. Revelation chapter 22. Let's turn there. It's good to see you all today. Some of you are bright-eyed and ready to roll. Some of you are really hot. Anybody hot here? Whew, me too. I don't know if something's going on with our AC or what, but it's not as hot as it was in Guatemala, so chill out. <laughs> Relax. This ain't nothing. <laughs> oh, my apologies. Eleven of us returned last week from Guatemala. It wasn't just us. Around Woodside, there's... 16 or 17 teams like that, that by the end of the year will have gone uh, to some place outside of our normal circle of influence, going into other cultures uh, to be used by God however he desires. In addition to that, actually this Saturday, there's over 300 students, middle school and high school students, that will be sent into regions where they're not used to ministering um, to Take the gospel in word and deed. Uh, it's, a, it's a week we call Hope Week. Uh, it's all the Woodside campuses coming together with student ministries, staying in two different locations this year, one in Rochester University in Rochester, Michigan, and one at a, at a ministry in, in Detroit, in the city of Detroit. And so they'll stay there for a week, and then during the day, they'll go into the different communities of Dearborn, Pontiac, Detroit, Warren, various places, and to serve in the name of Jesus in a lot of different ways. And then they'll come back in the evening and they'll have a wonderful meal and a wonderful time of worship and teaching and fun together. The next day, they'll get up and do the same thing. A number of them uh, through the years have found that to be a very spiritually impacting week as they've seen that God wants to use them and each one of us uh, for his kingdom. So pray for that, if you would, please. Uh, pray for the students as, as they experience that. But they're, they got to get ready. I know our family's still waiting to, for that email that kind of gives, okay, here's what you need to make sure and bring. Uh, do you need bedding or is that provided? Still waiting for that. Because whenever you go on an experience like that, you got to prepare. For the team that went to Guatemala, you know that it started after the first of the year where the first thing you got to do is get a passport because you got to go legally. You know, it's really important. For us, as we travel, you get to go legally. Uh, there's also things to get ready for your health. Some got immunizations and preventative medicine, so you'd be protected while there. 
And some places where they go, you actually have to register for a visa. Like go to India, the India team had to register for a visa and get that approved uh, before they could travel. You got to pack your bag with the, with the stuff that you need to take and the ministry supplies. And that's just to go. You also have to leave. Right? So, so that means you got to get your house in order here and make sure the dog's taken care of and make sure somebody's mowing the grass or checking the mail. It's good to check with your boss and make sure you have time off before you do that. So some people have foregone family vacations because they only have so much PTO. And so they use that to actually serve in another culture. So you have to take time off. You have to uh, make sure all the things back home, the family's cared for. It's hard work to go to that destination that you've been looking forward to. Well, in Revelation chapter 22, it reveals some statements. John gives us some statements that were given to him to help us as a church prepare for the destination that we have been, it's been revealed to us. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been looking at chapter 17 through 22 at the scene of the culmination of this work of God through human history as he brings about the new heavens and the new earth. So we've seen glimpses, especially last week. We saw some extraordinary descriptive words that help us understand a bit, just a fraction of the glory and the splendor of the world that will be when sin and death and Satan are all destroyed and where instead in its place brings harmony and peace and right rule as Jesus takes his place on the throne, as he fulfills all that the prophets have said. And the tabernacle of God is with people, where God dwells with us in the restored heaven and earth. So it's a beautiful scene. It's something that if you paid any attention to, you're, you're feeling like, I don't want to miss that. I want to go. I want it to come. I want it to come soon. But what do we do while we wait? How do we prepare for that destination that's been revealed to us? And that's how the book of Revelation closes. Okay, if that's true, this vision that God gave to John, what should we do? What do we do now to get ready to go? It closes with that charge. Put it in a a statement. It gives us a charge to live today in anticipation of his return. As John closes the book of Revelation, puts a seal on it and says, this is, this is the full revelation of God for the things that are to come. He says, you must live in light of that. Live in anticipation of his return. So how do we do that? Chapter 6. We looked at verse 1 through 5. Excuse me, not chapter. Verse 6. Revelation 22. We looked at verse 1 through 5 last week. And now we're going to finish the chapter. First of all, in these first, oh, verse 6 through 11, he calls us to, what we put in your notes, is to keep the word. Say that with me. Keep the word. One more time. Keep the word. What does that mean? Verse 6. 
He said to me, this is the angel, he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, this is Jesus now speaking, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now this is John speaking. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be fil filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. In other words, it doesn't matter what people will do, this is coming to pass. If the evil people still do evil, this is going to happen. If the good people still do good, this is going to happen. So keep the words. Blessed is the one who keeps the words. What does it mean to keep the words of this prophecy? Does it mean, like, if you have a copy of it, don't, don't lose it. I know there's a lot of garage sales going on. And sometimes Christian families that you have maybe some worn-out Bibles, and you think, I'm not going to just throw it away, so what can I do? Is there a place I can donate it? Or, or, or when I sell it and sell it? I don't know if I should sell it. I, I should keep it. Is that what it means? Is that if you have the word, then, then you need to keep it. Maybe some have even taken this literally and have um, placed a family Bible on a center table in your household because you want to keep it. Is that, is that what he means? Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think there's more to it. The word keep has been used in Scripture, in the Greek language. It's the word for observe or guard. It's been used to describe, in other passages, to describe watching carefully to prevent injury. So to keep the word is to pay attention carefully to it so you don't stub your toe, so you don't get hurt, so you don't get yourself into trouble. You'll be blessed if you observe and guard the words of this prophecy. It implies this idea that if you don't, the message of it will just fade right out of your mind. So keep it. Guard it. Pay attention carefully to it because the perspective of the world is so different than the perspective of this book. Would you agree? Especially the book of Revelation, which maybe you've been intimidated by the book. I hope our time in these few chapters has helped you see that it's not, it's not something to be scared of. That this, this is actually just Jesus pulling the curtain Back so, so that you can see past the things that are so obvious into things that are true. So you can see what's behind all this. Remember, Revelation is to reveal what is happening now as well as what's going to happen. It's not a book to help you figure out, formulate a 
all the symbols so you know when Jesus is coming. That's not why the revelation is given. It's so it, you can be revealed, it can be revealed to you behind the curtain what's happening now and what's going to happen. What's happening now as you read through Revelation is that there's a war going on. A war of, between Jesus, who is the victor, who has already sealed his victory, and arch enemy Satan, who's lashing out with all kinds of schemes and tactics to try to rob Jesus of glory. That's what's happening. And sometimes it pictures him as a beast or a dragon, illustrating this idea of destruction and chaos. And this vision was given to John so you know that when you see the stuff in this world and you think, what is happening? Well, there's a battle going on between God, who has already sealed victory, and the enemy who's trying to seek and destroy as many image bearers as he can. And there's all kinds of things he's going to do, but that's what's happening. It was given to us so we can know this, that the victory is not in question. You don't have to worry. Is the church going to survive? Because it seems like it's getting smaller and smaller and the influence in our culture seems to be decreasing and decreasing. You don't have to worry about that because God's word in the book of Revelation reveals that he wins. That's, just, that's it? A little amen? It reveals that he wins. Yes, he does. Yeah, there's nothing that's going to question that. Well, it might look different. And if you don't keep the words of this book, you'll start to get convinced that, well, maybe so. And maybe, maybe his truth can't stand up to science. And maybe his truth, you know, was for a day when it was all about, you know, emotions and, and such. But now that we, ha we know so much, it's not relevant anymore. Well, yeah, that's what the perspective you're going to gain if you don't keep the words of this book. But keeping the words, guarding them, observing them will help you see that, well, science doesn't, doesn't tear down the legitimacy of his revelation. Carefully studied it, we'll see, you'll see that it actually supports the revelation. You'll see that it's a reasonable faith. It certainly requires faith, but doesn't every theory where you can't observe it? But only the the claim of Scripture and the worldview the Scripture gives really stands the test of time. So keep it, observe it, hold it, guard it. It, it implies the idea of living according to it. So not just know something, that the, the book of Revelation was not given simply for information's sake, it's one of the struggles many times the American church has had with the book of Revelation is that we study it and we try to learn it so that we know. But if that's all that happens, we're in no better place. It's given so that your life can match it. It's given so that our behavior would live according to it. To live as if our king wins. To live as if his way is right. Without keeping it, without carefully observing it, by living according to it, you'll be convinced that, oh, well maybe the, 
The substance of my life does consist of the abundance of my things. Hmm. That's what our culture seems to suggest. You'll have more life if you have more things. That your life will be better if you have more experiences. So go on these trips and see all this. You'll have a better life. You'll get convinced of that if you don't guard your heart with the word of God. So Jesus says, blessed is the one who keeps or guards or observes the teaching of the prophecy of this book. It was true with Moses. When God gave Moses the law, there was this exhortation or this challenge to the people that, okay, now that you have the law, put it on the doorpost of your house. Put it as like a signpost in front of you. Put it on your forehead and on your hands. In fact, the Jewish people began to literally do that. They take miniature little copies of God's word and strap them to their arms and wrap them around the forehead and actually put them a little scroll on their doorpost. This idea of, okay, it's always got to be in front of us. It's always got to be true. Now, having it there does nothing unless you truly are observing it, right? That you're living according to it. But that's the idea that Moses charged the people with. Keep it always in front of you. Teach it to your children, to your children's children. Always keep his truth and his word in front of you. Otherwise, the world's perspective will drown it out. It's true with David that he learned this wonderful principle. I will hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. He, he memorized, he hid it in his heart so it would always be with him. Jesus, the word of God, the full revelation of God. He says, if you obey my teaching, then you love me and I come to you and make my home in you. If you obey, observe, guard, keep my words. And here John says the same. John records Jesus saying the same. Observe it, keep it. And he tells us why. In those verses I read, it tells us why. It says, I, these words are trustworthy and true. This, these aren't words made up by some philosopher that came up with this new truth. No, these are true. These are trustworthy. These have never failed. Secondly, he says, these are the words from the Lord, the God of the prophets. This is from the same source that spoke to the prophets of old, whose words always came true. Always. That's the crazy thing about the prophets of God. In fact, they said, God taught them that if a prophet's words don't come true, he's not speaking for me. You know he's a false prophet because my words never fail. They will never fail. Everything God has said through his prophets either has come true or will come true. And John says, these words, now this book of Revelation, it's from the same God. It's from the God, the Lord, the God of the prophets. He's the one who's given us this. And then he said, and just so you know, I saw it. He said, I, John, saw that they were true. I saw the vision. It's not like I read a book and thought, well, somebody says this, so I'll record it to you. No, John says, now I saw it firsthand. Jesus spoke to me 
the one that I know, the one I spent three and a half years following, the one who I laid on his chest as he taught the group of disciples, this Jesus, the one I know so well, showed this to me. That's why I know it's true. Second, the passage goes on, verse 12, and says, Behold, I am coming soon. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And here's that, here's, here's that instruction. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by its gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. If you're into underlining in your Bible, these phrases are so good. In what is that? In verse 7, underline the phrase, blessed is one who keeps the words. Verse 14, underline, blessed are those who wash their robes. What do you do while you wait for our arrival at the new heaven, new earth? Make sure your robes are washed. It's a beautiful figurative description of what happens when the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross is applied to our account. It's a phrase he, John used before as God gave them this scene in, in chapter 7 and verse 9. John described the scene of worship around the throne of God when he said that people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with their robes washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. This is how the book of Revelation begins. John says, this is what I see. In the end, people from all nations will stand before the throne of God and worship him in white robes that have been washed by the blood of Jesus. The book of Revelation ends by Jesus saying, blessed are the ones who've had their robes washed because the reality is, if you haven't, you're outside. If your robes haven't been washed, if your heart hasn't been washed by the blood of Jesus, if maybe you've tried to do the religious thing, kind of make up for bad things that you did in your life by being religious, and you're on the outside. Maybe if you're part of that group that said, well, you know, I want to, I want to feel things. So the, the, trusting by faith and God alone, and through grace, by faith alone, you know, that's... I want something I can be a part of. And so you try to meet God halfway and earn his favor on the outside. The group of people that stubbornly refuse to believe this claim that Jesus of Nazareth was really the son of God, the one that was born to a carpenter and his, and his wife Mary, him? Son of God? That makes no sense. I'm not going to believe that. He was a criminal. I saw him crucified. We're living in our day. Raised from the dead? That doesn't even make sense. What about decomposition over three days? 
and decomposition just reverses? How is that even possible? And then he's raised from the dead and ascends to heaven? Those things are just, I, I can't comprehend that. And refusing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You're on the outside. Never experiencing the pleasure of being with God in his heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, reigning with him, discovering and experiencing all that he has for us to know about him and about who he is and what he has done. Instead of the glory of heaven where there's no pain and no suffering and no sickness and no death, you live on the outside where all there is is suffering and heartache and regret and pain. And Jesus says, so as you wait, make sure your robes are washed. Make sure you're trusting what Jesus has done for you because if you're trusting in anything else, you'll be on the outside. Paul said in Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you welcomed his washing? You don't have to live a life wondering if you believed hard enough. It's not, he doesn't say all those that believe at least this much can. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You'll be washed. You'll be cleansed. Have you embraced him? Third, verse 16. There's the challenge to come to the Lord. This is really interesting, the way he closes the book. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about all these things for the churches. I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen, the church responds. Come, Lord Jesus. And John closes with a salutation. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Or let it be. You see that cry of invitation mentioned often in those verses? The word come. First, it's the spirit of the, and the bride who says come. This is the Holy Spirit empowering the bride who is the collective body of believers, the church. All around the world, all people that have claimed the name of Jesus, that have believed in him, and the Holy Spirit indwells them. They are God's people. Now that they've received this vision, they are proclaiming this invitation of come. Now, who are they saying that to? 
There's a, there's a sense that you get to the last part of that passage where it feels like they're saying it to Jesus. Come on, Lord, just come. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think their invitation as I read those verses, it seems to be that word of invitation is going out to all the people who have yet to hear. That the Spirit-empowered church is saying, come, come to this, don't be left outside. Come, he's given us the revelation of what's going to be. He's revealing to us what really is happening now. And Jesus wins, so come, don't miss out. But there's a next invitation. This is the person that has heard. That person also says, come. So who's this? The person that heard seems to be part of the bride of Christ. Well, they are, but, but there's, there's two realities going on here. One, there's the collective body of the church inviting consistently and faithfully to the world. Come, come. And that's what we do here. You'll, you'll hear us as a church often as we gather together extending an invitation to unbelievers to say, come. We're going to always assume that there's someone in our midst that doesn't yet know Jesus. And so we're going to faithfully say, come, come to this. This is so good. Drink from Jesus because he's so satisfying. This is the best life you could ever experience. It's not easy, but it's satisfying. So come, come drink the waters. It doesn't cost you anything. It, it seems that um, John is taking from Isaiah 55 when it's, J Isaiah wrote, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Isaiah was consumed with that. John's consumed with that. And if you've ever, if you're part of the church, you know that's our invitation. Does the, is the church for the believers or is the church for unbelievers? It's for both. The church is made up of believers. But if it was only about us, why are we still here? Why doesn't he take us up to heaven? There's one main reason. It's captured in the word come. We're here to invite others into the family of God. So a part of our ex purpose for our existence and being here is for those that are not yet part of the family of God. Now it's also, it, the church is for believers, for sure. We come together, we're, we, we dis disciple one another, we grow in our faith, we help one another continue in that journey of conforming to the image of Jesus. Yes, for sure, but it's also because we say, come, come. And if you've heard it, if you've heard the message of Jesus, then you're that person there in that next phrase that says, those that have heard say, come. Now individually, you go out and you, you take that message out with you. Not just when we're gathered together. That's not all the evangelism that we do when we're here. No, we're, we're going to give our, what we call our benediction, which is a closing prayer where we thank God for our time of worship and we send ourselves out into the world, then we become those inviters who now have that word come with us. Because you go to your workplace, and I go to mine. You go to your neighborhood, and I go to mine. You go to your family, and I go to mine. And we take that invitation with us. So it is the purpose of the church, and it's a, it's a purpose for every person in the church. So John seems to be saying... The church says in response to Revelation, come on, everybody. 
And everybody that hears goes into the world individually and says, come on, everybody. This is so good. You don't want to miss this. But then it ends with that phrase also by saying, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. How long ago did he say that? How long ago did John write the book of Revelation? Take a guess. If you're within a thousand years, I'll give you credit. What do you think? Two thousand years? All right. Yeah, that's, that's good. Nailed it. Two thousand years ago, he said, I'm coming soon. What does soon mean to you? Honey, are you going to be home soon? Yep. Yeah, I'll be home soon. What's that mean? 30 minutes? An hour? Hour and a half? Two hours? What is soon? 2,000 years? Mom, Dad, are we there yet? Soon. <laughs> what did Jesus mean? I think there's three things wrapped up in that. One, after he says, I'm coming soon, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Part of that meaning is that I'm already here. I've always been here. Beginning and the end. I have, have eternally existed. So I'm coming soon? Yeah, because I'm here. Sometimes Nancy texts me, are you coming home soon? And I'm sitting in the garage in the car, just getting out of the car. It's like, yep. Why? Because I'm already home. I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. I'm coming soon because I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm already here. There's a second aspect. When he says, I'm coming soon, I think he's referring to, as he shows throughout the book of Revelation, at times he, he intercedes into the, the dealings of mankind and does something supernatural. He's always there. He's always sovereignly in control and working through all these details, but sometimes he shows up and expresses his power and glory in a very special way. Maybe you've seen some of those times, one of those times. I, I've watched it happen here where we pray for something and it seems like the natural course would take it this way and we pray that God would do something powerful and he does. A miracle happens that you can't give credit to anyone else besides God interrupting what should have happened to do something that would bring him great glory. It's like, wow, God. He doesn't do it all the time. In fact, he doesn't do it as often as I'd like. But it's his way of saying, I told you I'd come soon. I told you I'd come into your life soon and do this wonderful work that you've been begging me to do. And at times I step in and I know that's going to bring me great glory. So I respond to your prayer. Thank you for partnering with what I had planned to show the world my glory. And then there's the third aspect, not just his always being with us, not just his times where he comes in and he shows himself faithful in those, those sometimes unanticipated ways, but most fully and completely, he says, I'm coming soon to finish, to culminate wrap it all up, bring all the promises to pass, put the enemy 
under submission and reign over all things to drive out everything that haunts humanity and bring in full, abundant life. I am coming soon. And that's why the church and John responded, then come, Lord Jesus. Come then. And I hope you live with that tension. On the one hand, you think, come on, world, come to Jesus because you desperately need him. And as you see what's coming, you say, you might not know what's coming, but God's given us revelation of what's coming, so you really need to come to him. But that other tension in your heart says, but Jesus, come. So come. Part of you thinks, wait, because there's some people I love that need to give their lives to you. So there's that tension of, hold on, come. And then, as John says, just come, Lord Jesus. That's the answer. When your time is right, because you are King of kings and Lord of lords, because you know all things, because it's your glory that is that is ultimate, not ours. Just come, Lord Jesus. And he ends with, let it be. According to his plan, let it be. That's the book of Revelation. How do we now live? Well, keep the words. Parents, teach it to your kids. Make it a regular rhythm, not just coming to church once a week, but make that part of your daily routine of being in the Word. Let Him speak to you. Apply it to your life. Allow it to transform you. Make sure your robes are washed. Make sure you're trusting in His grace and His salvation alone for the cleansing of your sin to make you as white as snow. And then, extend the invitation We'll be a church that continues to, to throw out the invitation to our community. Come, 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 please come. Jesus will satisfy you. But we need to be individuals that go out into our world with that same invitation. Come, family. Come, neighbors. Come, co-workers. Come, fellow students. And experience the life that only Jesus can give. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for pulling back the curtain and helping us see a little bit, just a glimpse of what things are happening and what things will be. And may we be found faithful, Lord, to respond and prepare for that coming. Father, may we be a church that is faithful to disciple one another and to invite those that don't yet know you to the waters that are free and satisfying. So transform us to be that church that rightly reflects who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.